Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to consumer advocate Brendan Burgess and Joe Brennan of the Irish Times about the latest twist in the tracker mortgage scandal. But first, Peter Hamilton of the Irish Times joins me to discuss some of the main business stories of the week. Peter, you're very welcome. And we're going to take off in this slot with Ryanair and its green credentials. Indeed. they People will be familiar. They've been running these ads claiming to be the lowest emissions airline or uh, Europe's low emissions airline, depending on what medium you've seen the ads in. But you, most people will have seen these ads. But that claim has been found to be misleading by the UK's advertising regulator. That's the Advertising Standards Authority. And they upheld this complaint. Now, the complainants were suggesting that by their very nature, airlines are not Uh, low emissions or they don't have low emissions. But Ryanair measures its emissions or its passengers' emissions in this metric uh, called CO2 per passenger distance. A dull enough metric, but it incorporates how full the plane is, how many seats there are, how far it goes and how young it is. So the issue for these ads were that passengers couldn't work out exactly what their carbon footprint was because it wasn't clear what the load factor was in a particular plane or whatever. So that was the issue. So they said that those claims hadn't been made clear. So Ryanair was ordered not to run these ads again. And of course, Ryanair said it was disappointed and surprised at the ruling, given its full compliance with advertising regulations. Right. <laughs> or not, as the case may be in, in this uh, scenario. Yeah. Who were the complainants, do we know? We don't know, but there were over 100 complaints. Over 100, right, wow. And do we know, have there been any complaints here in Ireland? I'm not aware of that, to be honest. I suppose the bodies are different uh, in the UK. Mm. It's a it's a self-regulatory System. Or did, I presume they've been running these ads across Europe. So They I have, I've certainly seen them here. So yeah. no, I don't know. Okay. One for you to follow up, Peter. Mm. Um, right, let's talk about Brown Thomas. Uh, an announcement, I wrote this myself, uh, um, let's be honest about it, um, that they're uh, opening a much larger store in the Dundrum Town Centre, which would seem to be prime territory for uh, a retailer such as Brown Thomas. It's an interesting move, I suppose, for them uh, at a time when we see other retailers retreating, they have, uh, as you wrote, agreed to let two floors in that Dundrum town centre. House of Fraser currently sits. House of Fraser has been there since the beginning, occupying four floors, significant uh, amount of space. It looks like they're going to retreat quite soon uh, altogether from that site with Brown Thomas, as as you said, uh, to take two floors. What's going to happen now is we're not going to see this immediately. It'll take about a year and about a multi-million euro to refit uh, that particular store. So, Quite a significant size, about half the size of their Grafton Street store. 
and while we don't know how much it's costing them we know that House for Fraser's four floors were about 2.4 million a year they'd obviously been in discussion with mm. the landlords Hammerson and Alliance to reduce that uh, unsuccessfully so and Brent Thomas already has a store in Dundrum a small, a small enough and it's a, it was a BT2 store and that's that's going to close they're going to relocate to this right. uh, larger site and uh, a suggestion as well that pennies are moving in there that's right Primark to take the other two floors that's what we understand uh, at this point which is interesting because they already have a pretty sizable space mm. at the other side of Dundrum. Uh, again, that sits kind of just above Marks and Spencer's. So it's so big, you'd wonder who else can take it over. Uh, Zara's already there with the big store. H&M are already, is already there with a significant enough uh, store. So maybe so. it'll be a new entrant, who knows. Exactly. Anyway, a game of musical chairs mm. at Dundrum Town Centre. Uh, now some, perhaps some relief finally for uh, hard-pressed renters who've seen rents uh, skyrocket over the last uh, few years according to Daft.ie Absolutely I suppose they'll hope that this is the start of something bigger because rents have fallen now for the first time in eight years uh, that report found so it was December when they dipped just 0.1% uh, unfortunately not hugely compared to the previous three months Um and really those results are driven by the fact that rents outside the five main cities in the state are falling. Uh, inside the main urban centres, rents are still rising, mm-hmm. about 0.7% in that month. In Dublin, rents did increase at a lower rate of 0.4%. So the figures indicate that the rent pressure zone cap of 4% a year is starting to work uh, because in the year, rents were up 3.5% in Dublin. So not a massive jump compared to what we have been seeing the average monthly rent nationwide was over €1,400 in December and that's up about €600 on the boom time high. So we are, we still have a significant problem but it just, these figures show that it is starting to slow down ever so slightly. And there is good news in this report that the volume of properties coming to the market is continuing to increase. So there's more than 3,500 available at the start of February and that's 10% up on a year ago. So look, positive moves, I suppose, as we await the outcome of this election, it is a change. You know. It's a hot potato, isn't it, in, mm. in this uh, election? And Sinn Féin um, has said it would, uh, you know, if it's in government, that it would freeze rents mm. for three years. That's right. I, I suppose the economist and author of this report, Ronan Lyons, uh, suggested that those freezes if they ever came in would create a divide between movers and renters and I think the evidence does bear that out when you look at the likes of San Francisco developers stopped building when rent freeze initially were brought in in Berlin they have issues as well so there seem to be a plethora of issues around rent freezes that haven't been well thought out uh, and actually what you will do for people moving here is that they won't be able to afford but and you'll force people to stay in accommodation that's no longer suitable to them. So it's, it doesn't seem to me to be a perfect solution. All right. Uh, Peter Hamilton, thank you for that. We leave it there. Now, on Tuesday, AIB surprises all by announcing an additional €300 million Euro provision relating to the ongoing tracker mortgage scandal. Joe Brennan covered the story for the Irish Times, while Brendan Burgess, founder of the consumer forum AskAboutMoney.com, led the campaign on behalf of the impacted customers, and I'm delighted to say that they both join us now in studio. Joe, first of all, you might just give us the background to AIB's statement on Tuesday. Yeah, so um, AIB had kind of acknowledged this group about uh, 5,900 customers um, a few years ago when the banks are really going to be pushed to actually own up to the extent of the... uh, 
of, of the tracker crisis. And, and this group, they were given basically these. This group were on 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 a fixed rate and were coming off fixed rates and would ordinarily have been entitled to a tracker mortgage. And they were refused a tracker mortgage because they were told the product didn't exist at the time in late from late to two thousand and eight. Yes, that was after the crash. After the crash, um, uh, but what it, it acknowledged what the, what it called a service failure in that you know uh, maybe they should have been uh, given a tracker mortgage, but the prevailing rate mm. that they would have been put on would have been prohibitively high at about seven point nine percent. I think an average rate of seven point nine percent, which would have been higher than your normal standard variable mortgage rate at the time. I think in October. Of that year, you had the ECB cutting uh, cutting rates, uh, its own base rate, and I think the standard variable mortgage rate in AIB went down from five point five to five percent. So that's your kind of the, the rate you were you were you could have been working. So this off. is the case that AIB argued. Yeah. So um, basically, what it did give these individuals was a check for one thousand six hundred fifteen, and they were told to go off. Um, and a number of them went through the appeals panel. They were shot down by the appeals panel. And then uh, a number went to the Financial Services Ombudsman. Um, and obviously we have this case now that's come through. A preliminary uh, finding has been taken by the Ombudsman um, finding in favour of, of that individual. And what the central bank had said was, even though it had completed its own uh, examination of the, of the tracker issue, it had said that any cases uh, that came up um, at the Financial Services Ombudsman um, that had a, a read across for, for other cases that it would be pushing the banks to apply that across the board. And what you've seen now is AIB's board taking a decision based on the preliminary finding. We still have to have the final finding, uh, but they seem to, it's fairly clear the fact that they're taking a provision, they know that they will have to, 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 to pay up. Uh, That's a chunky sum of money, Joe. 300 million euro? Yeah, so it doubles the amount. I mean, up until now, I think AIB had set aside up to uh, 335 million of provisions uh, for, for tracker mortgage cases. This doubles that. And it's by far the largest amount that any of the banks have, have set aside for 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 for, uh, for tracker cases. Now, the I think we just tallied the the overall figure about one point five billion. A good chunk of that would would basically be down to the administration of the uh, the, the the redress schemes set up by the banks. I think as of late last year, about six hundred million have been paid out. Across the uh, across the, the the banks, led by the five kind of existing banks, I think ninety eight percent of the cases relate to the five kind of remaining banks in in the market. Yeah, Brendan, some of these cases came across your desk. Essentially, people asked you for help. Just explain the backdrop to that. Yes, back in two thousand and fifteen, the sort of tracker mortgage issue uh, blew up, if you like, and I think it was two thousand fifteen, two thousand and sixteen. The central bank said to all the banks, "Go and review all your cases." And uh, I had actually raised this with AIB on a number of occasions. I said, lads, you're in clear breach of your contract here. The contract said you will be given the option of a tracker mortgage at the end of your fixed rate. I actually thought it was an open and shut case. You know, they'd broken the contract. They had to resolve it. And they were absolutely, you know, they said no at every turn. Like I would have met them. I would have... Um, raised this at the AGMs over a number of years. I think, Joe, you tend to cover the mm. the AGMs. And I just met with blank faces and they said, no, this is just not an issue. These people are not impacted. And I said, well, you're going to write to them at least and tell them about this, that they're not impacted. Said, no, no, they're not impacted, just not affected. So we're not going to contact them. So that sort of was it because they would have been out of, out of the um, time period for going to the ombudsman or anything like that. Uh, so there really wasn't much option. But fair play to the central bank. The central bank said to them, well, look, 
you were in, you, this was a service failure. I don't know the difference between a service failure and a breach of contract, but they managed to convince AFB that it was a service failure and therefore they should write to all 6,000 or 5,900 customers telling them about it. And they should pay them 1,615, as Joe pointed out. And the crucial thing was that reopened the opportunity to go to the Ombudsman or to the High Court if somebody wanted to go to the High Court. So this was discussed on Ask About Money and the people got together. We had a few meetings and um, we, you know, we submitted claims to the Independent Appeals Panel. Um, I drafted uh, um, uh, model claims for people to submit because most people just wouldn't be able to articulate their issues. I drafted the complaints. Then the responses came in from the independent from AIB to the Independent Appeals Panel. I drafted the how to respond to the response. And that went backwards and forwards. Every single one of them, irrespective of the arguments made, got the same rejection notice. So um, that was it. So then we picked one person who would represent, if you like, that, that there were no particular circumstances about her case. Like she wasn't in mortgage difficulty. She hadn't sold her house. She hadn't been offered a tracker uh, and turned it down and took a fixed rate instead. So like... You know, if her case uh, succeeded, it would apply to everybody else. That was the point. We could have picked somebody who might have had a a more pressing case because somebody in the bank had said, don't worry, we'll give you a tracker. But if we'd won that case, we wouldn't have been able to apply it to anybody else. So um, we made our submission uh, to the ombudsman. Uh, we anticipated all of AIB's replies because we'd gone through the appeals panel. We knew what they were going to say. We... We anticipate all those in our initial complaint to the ombudsman. So when AIB responded, we'd already anticipated all their responses. And what delays the ombudsman is that people keep going backwards and forward. He said, you said. So we made no further claim. We said, we've made our points. AIB has responded. And now the ombudsman can go and make a decision. Like it's, So that's why we're probably the first of this, as far as I know, the first of this... Um, cohort to be decided because we did it quickly and efficiently. Um, How long did that take, Brenda? It took a year. It took a year. The Ombudsman sent us a decision uh, on the 17th of January, but we were told under no circumstances were we to discuss it. So there was just, a, you know, publicly, there was just a small group, like we have a large committee. I didn't even tell the committee because if you tell people about somebody will tell somebody else the next thing. You, you'll hear about it and you'll be writing about it in the Irish Times. So uh, we decided not to actually tell anybody at all about it, just a small group of four. And then on uh, yesterday morning, AIB, AIB were in a difficult position because they're supposed to treat it with confidentiality because it's a, a preliminary decision. But they also have the obligation, presumably, to talk to the central bank. And most importantly of all, uh, you know, this was profit warning territory. So um, that's what they came out yesterday and announced that they would be... Uh, now, in this particular case that you pursued, um, what's the outcome? I know you say it's a preliminary finding, but let's say it becomes the de definitive uh, finding, as it were. What's, what's the outcome for that person? Oh, sorry, I'm not allowed, still I'm not allowed to discuss what the actual ombudsman's decision was, other than the fact that they upheld the complaint. I can't tell you how the compensation was calculated or anything at all like that. Right. So I'm still barred from talking about that and I, and I don't talk about that. Or even what levels of compensation will be offered? No, but, but you can work out from the AIB, mm. uh, the AIB statement yesterday 
they provided for 300 million. If you allow for the fact that there's about 60 million in costs to administer this, well, then there'll be 240 million in compensation. We know there's roughly 6,000 people. So the average person is going to get a life-changing sum of money, somewhere around the 40,000 mark. You know, if the administration is much more expensive, it might be only 30,000. And presumably um, customers that remain customers of AIB will be brought down to a lower rate. of. Uh, I wouldn't presume that at all. I'm not allowed to comment on that okay. and I wouldn't make that presumption. Interesting. OK, and some of the 6,000 people are near 6,000 people. Did some of them lose their homes? Did anybody lose their home as a result of this? Well, I have out? not come across anybody who's okay. lost their home as a result of this. But... Um, there could well be, you know, I suppose in our group, we've probably got 100, you know, between the overall group and people um, posting about their cases and asking about money, just probably about 100, 150. So there would be lots of people who would have found the very high mortgage rates. Like what I keep pointing out to people is this is not just a tracker mortgage scandal. It's not that these people lost the option to be on a mortgage of ECB plus 1%. They went from a cheap rate to being charged the highest mortgage rates in Europe. That's that's the problem. So the reason people lost their homes uh, in in some of the cases are not so much because they lost a cheap tracker. It's because of the very high mortgage rates charged in Ireland. And of course, the fact that they had, in most cases, weren't paying anything. I mean, Typically, what were they paying when they were on that fixed rate? Oh, the... What kind of range I would have about? said... Um, the, the people tend to fix it I'm, I'm around the 2008 is around 5% but it's come down AIB in particular uh, and I have to say this in AIB's defence AIB has apart from this the fairest mortgage rate policy they bring down their standard variable rate for all customers when they change the rates their back book and their, exi- and their new customers get the benefit of it the other, all the other lenders what they're doing is they're keeping their standard variable rates high and they're attracting business with discounted uh, with, rates, with low fixed rates. Yeah. So if you want to, to yeah. take out more, so you've got to fix for two or three years and stay with that particular bank. But the existing book, you know, who just don't know anything about it, uh, they're paying, like there's a whole pile of Bank of Ireland customers and Ulster Bank customers paying 4.5% when they could pick up the phone and reduce the rate to rates like 2.3 or 3%. Right. And, um, but in AIB, there's nobody paying more than 3.15%. Now, Brendan, rate. you make it sound as if, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you make it sound as if AIB fought tooth and nail on this to prevent these people from winning their cases, shall we say. Um, oh, absolutely. So what should, we, what should we think about AIB? Remembering um, that it was bailed out by the taxpayer, remembering that we still own 71% of them, remembering that they've supposedly gone through this whole, um, they've certainly gone through uh, a lot of executive changes, but they're supposed to have gone through this uh, whole culture change uh, as well. And yet here we are today talking about one of the biggest banks in this country fighting tooth and nail to prevent people getting a right, getting a contractual entitlement from more than a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, I I find the talks of culture board and culture change. I I find that a little bit too. That's too abstract for me. I you know if if we have the highest mortgage rates in in the eurozone, uh, and if there's a whole pile of people paying four and a half percent, that that's the issue. That to me is culture, not not other stuff. Uh, what what particularly motivated me about this particular issue was. AIB saying at the AGM and all their press statements, 
we put the customer at the centre of everything. And board members said that to me, like, like you know, with, you know with, a, with a straight face, we put the customers at the centre of everything. And you know, we've had to do that, they said, but that's what we do. And I said, but you're not putting these 6,000 customers. You know, you're, you're fighting this tooth and nail and you're clearly, in, in my view, you're clearly in the wrong. You broke the contract. You're doing nothing for these customers. And they went to, to crazy arguments like that, that um, it was a service failure, not a breach of contract. Now, they went before the Eroctus Finance Committee, uh, AIB, and it was actually very funny because, you know, they were saying it was a service failure and not a a, a breach of contract. And Michael, uh, Michael McGrath and Pierce Doherty were very, very good at sort of, you know, just you know, forcing them to the sort of absurd consequences of a statement like that, you know. So um, just in this case, AIB obviously realised 6,000 customers, this must cost us about 300 million. Uh, we're not going to do the right thing. We're going to try and get out of this. Uh, but they had a real chance, you know, back in late 2017 when the banks are really going to be pushed to kind of wrap their arms around the extent of this problem. When you had the likes of Bank of Ireland, albeit under a new chief executive, coming in and adding another 6,000 cases overnight, AIB had that same opportunity to really kind of, you know, address the issue. And it was asked by I seem to recall at the time. Pascal, uh, I think Pascal Donoghue um, called them all to uh, his office in the Department of Finance. Yeah, so that was in early October. So it kind of reached kind of a, a crescendo back in late September, early October of that year when you had a number of cases, hardline cases, appearing before the Iraqs Committee. And that kind of really, for a lot of people, kind of put a human face on the, uh, the, the, the tracker crisis. And there was a lot of kind of political kind of um, push uh, and you had the, the, the Minister of Finance uh, bringing in the, the, the banks and they were told once and for all to address this, address the whole issue. I mean, three years later, um, still dealing yeah. with the consequences. I was surprised that the new chief executive, Colin Hunt, didn't put his stamp on this. Uh, By meeting his head on. on. I, I, I would have thought, like, I think he's there about a year now. I think he should have, like, within a couple of months looked at that and done what Francesca mm. McDonough did. Now, it's easier for her probably coming in completely fresh, but he he came from the corporate side. He, he was, was still not, on the executive committee. So but he, he was not involved in this issue as far as I know, and he could have come in, he could have reviewed the arguments, as by the way I believe the non-executive directors should have. They should have sat back, looked at these arguments and said, you know, this doesn't this this doesn't look right to us, you know? Yeah, sure. Joe, what does this mean for AIB in terms of their uh, full year results? What's the financial uh, impact? What's the ripple effect, if you like, because the results are going to be released in early March? Yeah, so I think there was a general expectation um, that the dividend was going to be coming down in AIB. So AIB brought back its dividend a few years ago, just before it went back to market. The fact that it was paying a dividend helped to boost its its uh, appeal to certain types of investors. That's important the for government. taxpayers as well, because this is how we're getting some of our money back, isn't it? Yeah, but particularly for the valuation. Um, ultimately, the, 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 the small beans what the taxpayer is getting back in, 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 in dividends, but certainly to uphold the value of, which, of the of the stake that the taxpayer held, that was more important for that rather than actually just getting small amounts of, 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 of dividends. But um, it was clear, um, it had become clear in, in recent months that the dividend would have to come back because 
earnings in banks are, are coming down. You have a squeeze from lower for longer interest rates. You also have the the, the, the pickup in, 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 in new lending has not been to the extent that maybe the, the analysts or the market would have expected two or three years ago. Um, so there was an expectation the dividend was coming down. Now they've, they've guided, again, that the dividend will be hit by this. Um, I think there's an expectation. Davies came out yesterday saying that the dividend is likely to have fallen from 17 cent per share for 2018 to, I think, six or seven cent per share. Um, As a result uh, of this? Uh, well, a result of two things. A result of... Uh, general decline. Yeah, general okay. decline, but also as a result of this. Now, the, the bank, interestingly enough, said that its capital levels, uh, which are important to to for the, to basically uphold the strength of a bank, that its capital levels uh, were pretty much stable versus what they, as a result of this versus what they were saying back in November. That would imply that they've generated some sort of income that maybe had been unexpected or it may reflect the fact that their risk-weight assets have come down a bit. Right, okay. Um, Brendan, let's just maybe talk about, um, not specific cases, but just in the round. Um, A lot of people have been fighting the banks on this tracker mortgage issue now for more than a decade. I mean, it it must be a horrible thing to have to go through. How is it, you've seen this firsthand with people over a number of years. How has it impacted them? How has it impacted their lives? Well, the thing that most struck me yesterday was the number of people when this was announced who came along and said I'd completely given up hope and I said we got the 1615 we applied for the the paperwork to appeal it but we were put off by the paperwork we couldn't do it other people actually went ahead made the appeals and they found it very frustrating and when the appeal was rejected they just said oh, I couldn't go to the Amazon I couldn't go through all this again like I was of the view and maybe I'm comfortable with paperwork I was of the view that going to the independent appeals panel was a sort of a shot to nothing. I mean, there's no cost involved. So what if you lose? It doesn't change your rights in terms of going to the ombudsman. But a lot of people were very frustrated by this. And um, the, the arguments, the arguments that the banks used are like they're so um, like they were just so annoying. Like when when they said to people, I mean, they, they did say that the tracker rate would have been as high as 12 percent. On, in some years when the SVR, the standard variable rate, would have been 4 or 5%. I mean, like that is, that's, that's sort of so How annoying. That so? It made no sense and it still doesn't make any sense. And um, uh, to be honest with you, I felt that the arguments that they were using so damaged their own credibility, like the service failure. Like, again, this is very frustrating to be told you were entitled to a, a tracker mortgage we didn't give it to you, but we didn't break the contract. It was a service failure. Now, to me, a service failure is if I go into the bank to make a, a withdrawal and the machine, the, person, the machine isn't working. That's a great example of it. The machine isn't working. That's a sort of service failure. Uh, but if they tell me, sorry, there's no money in your bank account and we're never going to let you access your bank account again, that's probably a breach of contract or something. But mm-hmm. so, so a machine not working is a service failure. So I don't know. Like, so that was very frustrating. I mean, I have to say, I mean, the vast majority of the 36,000 people now who got substantial uh, um, redress amounts, the vast majority of them, the first thing they knew about it was when they opened the letter one morning and said, you know, uh, dear Kieran, we should have given you a tracker at 1.3%. 
10 years ago and we didn't do so. We apologise. We are offering you 50,000 and a return to your tracker. And if you'd like to appeal because you need more, you know, you can do this. Off so the vast majority, and of course, the vast majority of people were delighted with that. I mean, there haven't been that many appeals and there have been much fewer cases again to the ombudsman. Like you'd think with 36,000 uh, substantial amounts of money that that uh, that there would be more appeals, but... Uh, Joe, are we likely to see Bank of Ireland permanent TSB also rank come out? Yeah, look, there's other cases as well. Um, just to be, before going to there, I think that the one kind of shortfall in all of this has been the appeal system. When you look at the middle of last year, when the central bank came out with its final, final report, it was saying that about 3,300 cases had gone to appeal. At that stage, 1,800 cases had gone through the appeal. Most of the cases... Either the case of the appealant, i.e. the customer, had been fully or partially upheld, but that only resulted in about 7 million of additional compensation being handed out to those customers. So, small beans again. Who's on these appeals uh, panels? Who were the people who were populating? They would have been set up by the professional services like the KPMGs and the EYs of this world. Each each, um, panel has three people on it. One of them is a, a banking expert. Independent of the bank. Oh, the oh said absolutely, bank. yes. Right. Each, uh, although the banks picked the particular people or nominated them, each had to be approved by um, the central bank. So uh, there was a banking expert on it. Then there was a consumer representative. And it was chaired by a legal person, I, th- I think a solicitor in most cases. Most so right. I, I have to say that um, in defence of the appeals panel, like people say they were biased because they were picked by AIB. I actually don't think they were biased. I just think they didn't understand the issues. Like um, I saw another case, an AIB case, which hugely favoured the customer and like awarded massive amounts of money to them. And the decision was clearly wrong. You know, like the customer did not lose their house. They said the customer lost their house because of losing the tracker. They'd lost their house because they were paying absolutely nothing at all. And in fact, AIB had been very good to that customer. Mm, okay. And uh, so it's, it's not a bias. It's it's just, um, it's actually not that easy to find people to represent consumers and in, fee, in fact, to represent the banking side who actually understands mortgage, who understand mortgages, you know. So just going back to the, sorry, jumping in, uh, just going back to the, the other banks, um, I suppose the most high profile kind of group um, outstanding would be a, a group of a 200 uh, Bank of Ireland uh, staff and former staff members. Um, I was talking to uh, Pori Kassan, who would have been another, who is another person who's representing a lot of, of tracker cases and is seen as an expert, not only um, also with the central bank and also with the financial service ombudsman in, in terms of educating them as to the, the, the extent of the tracker crisis over the last number of years. And he reckons that over a thousand PTSB customers are, could be in scope as well through some of the uh, complaints that have gone through the financial service ombudsman. Uh, they relate to basically people being put on the wrong margin. Um, and he also reckons about 400 KBC cases uh, where uh, it's argued by the bank that the tracker product was withdrawn when he would claim that uh, his documentation to show that the tracker product was still available. Also some Ulster Bank cases as well. So these banks could be taking provisions themselves? If they're found, absolutely. I mean, the central bank has said, and it's been very clear, that if there is a read across, uh, it, it, it will push the banks to apply it across the board. So, OK. Uh, Brendan, we, you know, the general election campaign now has been underway for uh, the guts of three weeks and track mortgages, they were high on the political agenda a couple of years ago, but they haven't featured in this uh, campaign at all. 
No, I mean... Nor has mortgage arrears. No, and uh, that's just a good point, mortgage arrears and mortgage interest rates. I mean, the, these three topics. I, I think people have a problem getting their heads around it and there's probably... I mean, most people like who have mortgages um, and that, they're probably better off. Or, you know, they're probably better off than people... Well, they are obviously clearly better off than people who are homeless. And so things like homelessness and health issues... Um, that's that's all I can say. The other thing is, we don't really have a, a consumer advocacy body in, in, in this country. I mean, the Consumers Association uh, should have been pushing stuff like this. As far as I know, they've never done anything at all on mortgage rates. But they don't they, have the, I, I don't think they have the financial viability to do it. I mean, Dermot Jewell, I think, effectively, my understanding is that, you know, he works for little or nothing um, these days and they have a very small budget which has contracted over the years. Yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like, we don't have that sort of a body here for whatever reason. Uh, we have the Competition and Consumer Commission. We have the CCPC, but uh, they seem to be much more interested in chasing uh, restaurant uh, owners who ask people to um, pay deposits for their Christmas dinners rather than actually take up topics like uh, mortgage interest rates or oh, tractors right, and stuff like that. CCPC, to be fair, isn't here to defend itself, I suppose, on that issue. But, uh, Brennan, uh, maybe finally, have, have banks, in your opinion, have banks learned any lessons from the past 10 years in terms of the issues that have been raised around mortgage arrears, uh, around, you know, rip-off mortgage rates, and around this issue, um, the tracker mortgage, which has been the most high-profile of the, of the three? I think they'd probably learn from this that uh, they have to have very good case for refusing people um, a tracker mortgage uh, where somebody has claimed a tracker mortgage. They'll have to have a very good case and they, they are not going to get through the ombudsman with a bit of, with a, you know, with a hopeful case that, um, sure, they might, they might fool Sure, the but I suppose what I'm getting at is if somebody walks through the door of AIB or Bank of Ireland now as a, as a new customer, can they be sure that they're going to get treated uh, better than people clearly um, have been o over the past 10 or 15 years? Well, if they're going in as a new customer to take out a mortgage, they're going to be paying a very high mortgage rate, which, again, to me, you know, is the ma main measure of it. I'm absolutely sure at this stage that uh, the paperwork will be much clearer and that... Uh, not just the consumer, but I think AIB and the banks are going to be reading the contracts as well if they decide to change the entitlements that people have. Uh, and they will be drafting. I think there was a very bad... Pori Kassan makes this point as well. Like, you know, the, the banks, the, the paperwork, uh, the mortgage contracts were very badly written. I mean, you know, there's a very clear uh, legislation that says that if the contract is unclear, it must be interpreted in the favour of the customer, not the bank drawing up the contract. And, uh, you know, they, they they really drew up the contracts very, very badly. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I suppose, what we're benefiting from. But has the culture changed? Can you be sure you're going to get a better service? I, I wouldn't have thought it had changed. I mean, I, like, I, you know, a, a few people uh, at board meetings telling us that we're putting the customer at the centre of everything. To me, that's not a culture change. You know, that's that. That to me isn't a culture change. So I would say no. I don't see the evidence of it. All right. Okay. We we'll leave it there. Brendan Burgess and Joe Brennan, Thank you for joining.
Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Brendan Burgess, Joe Brennan, and Peter Hamilton for their contributions. Suzanne Brennan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.